Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. I have to say, this is a things? segment I can't believe we haven't done already. Well, we haven't had a MBS analyst at BI. Well, now we do. Now we do. Absolutely. Erica Edelberg, uh, she is the MBN strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence. She joins us here in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio. Uh, Erica, is it Adelberg or Edelberg? Edelberg. It is. Is oh. there a difference? Well, there's an A. At, so if it, th there are two different German words, Edel and okay. Adelig. Okay. And, um, but they're both spelled either A-D-E-L or E-D-E-L. And they both kind of mean noble or royal. So Okay. Anyway, so we are we're going humbled today by your presence. Yes, here. we are. Erica, we have a Federal Reserve that's going to start selling mortgage-backed securities. Is that something you're looking for? If so, how does that impact your market, the mortgage-backed securities market? It's got to be a tectonic shift. It, well, yeah. Traditionally, the Fed just allowed the portfolio to actually, you know, decrease the size of its portfolio of its Fed footprint by letting the principal paydowns run off as prepays came in and as scheduled amortizations came in. But they've put in a lot of uh, language recently into their speeches that says that they're seriously considering selling because the size of the MBS portfolio has gotten so large at, at $2.7 and about a third of the mortgage index. So they're actually talking about selling. They've said they'll give a lot of lead time if they do so. But I think a lot of people are now actually taking them at their word and saying even though it'll involve some write-down losses perhaps, that they may actually start selling as early as late 2022 or early uh, 2023. So, so what is this like for them? I mean, I imagine this must be like, um, you know, a 900-pound gorilla gets out of the pool. <laughs> Right. That's very accurate. Yeah, there, there's going to be a lot of water that has to be absorbed by the rest of the market, if you will, or mortgage-backed securities in this case. So we've already seen a lot of spread widening. Um, the mortgage spreads are definitely wider than they were before this uh, QE4, before this round of quantitative easing. So the big question is, is that going to be enough and who's going to absorb the rest? So... You know, it's interesting here. The first quarter was really tough for fixed income investors, uh, really tough from a return perspective. How's the MBS market? How's that been trading? The MBS market is definitely on tap for one of its worst years on record Whoa. already. Uh, we're calling for probably the first ever sec consecutive year of negative absolute returns and probably very, very likely the third ever consecutive year of negative excess returns, that is returns versus their hedges. So yeah, it's, it's not looking like a great year for mortgage-backed securities. Um, on the bright side, we've widened so much that we think the rest of the year could be a lot better. Uh, you know. do, do the Wall Street trading firms 
have big MBS trading operations still these days? Relatively small, actually. Okay. Um, <laughs> nobody has a big trading operation compared to the Fed right now. Yep. But uh, no, the 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 uh, they they haven't actually, if you will, they're not actually probably going to provide that much intermediation unless spreads get really cheap. So. Uh, for better, for worse. Did they before the financial crisis? Um, they 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 were a little bit more involved, but you know I think I think for years now, really the the bigger holders have been banks, the Fed, and to some degree money managers. But are we back to, um, you know, people wrapping mortgages in big collateralized debt instruments? We're not. No, I, no, almost everything is currently just an agency MBS and, again, held by a combination of other investors taking up about a third of the market, banks holding about a third of the market, and the Fed holding about a third of the market, uh, just in agency MBS pools. I, I just asked because I went to a dinner. I went to a Passover Seder on Saturday. Good for you. And uh, it was great fun. Um, but one of the things people were talking about was the relentless rise in housing prices and the fact that, you know, everyone that we we were talking to at the table had just sort of stretched as far as possible financially to buy a house. And if prices come down, it's bad. But I guess it, what I hear from people in, in the industry is that nobody's leveraged up the way they were in 2007. Right. The big difference um, right now is that both household leverage and mortgage finance leverage are much, much lower than they were in 2008. So not only that, but I think very few people are actually calling for a housing downturn. They weren't in 2008 either, to be fair. But um, <laughs> they be, because of the fact that the amount of supply currently is so much lower and there's a real inventory crunch. So they think that's going to keep, they, they think housing prices will stop going up as, as dramatically as they've been going up. You can't sustain 20% a year, especially at 5% plus mortgage rates. But they do think that, um, you know, the housing market probably will just slow housing starts are picking up to try to alleviate some of that supply. Yep. Um, Home prices never go down. No, never. You know? <laughs> except, never. Except in 2008. Except in 2008. Yeah, yeah we had good housing start numbers uh, out this morning. Erica Adelberg, thank you so much but for joining confidence. us. But bad confidence. But bad confidence. Remember yep. yesterday, John Tucker was telling us home builders' confidence at a seven-month low. Well, still, it's still pretty good, I'm yeah, guessing, relative. It's still above 50, which means yep. more home builders. More stuff Expansion. coming. All right, Erica Adelberg, thank you so much for joining us. She's an MBS strategist, Bloomberg Intelligence, joining us here in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. All right, let's talk markets here, uh, and we do that with Mark Smith. He's a senior vice president for investments at Wells Fargo Advisors. Mark, we've got a Fed that's talking about, you know, and in a big way, raising interest rates. Yet I've got, I've got a market that still feels pretty risk on to me. What are you telling your clients? Well, I'm telling my clients right now that you got to be nimble. 
example, we're in an environment right now where you have a St. Louis Fed uh, member, James Bullard, saying that we could possibly see a 75 basis point rate hike. Um, you know, that should cause pause for anybody, look, uh, anyone looking for some um, stability in the markets. Because, Thank you. Because, you know, traditionally, you know, we've seen small incremental moves, 25 basis points, um, you know, over, you know, a year and a year and a half period. If you're talking about moving rates up 75 basis points, of course that's going to affect the market. That's going to affect everything from buying a home. You know, I'm, I'm already seeing clients of mine who are going and putting offers in and the uh, and they're getting bid out by all cash buyers. And so in that environment, you've got to slow it down. But at the same point, that's going to, that's going to definitely have an effect on the real estate. And you're going to see that prices will have to go down because pe- my clients are buying homes based upon their cash in, cash out every single month. And that's how many Americans buy homes. It's based upon what they could afford. If you were raising rates double what it was a year ago, that's going to have to affect the price of real estate. I thought I was the only one freaked out by the Bullard story. Everyone's taking it so calmly today. I know. Look at the the markets. Uh, All right. So, um, Mark, what do you think about this housing market? I mean, we were talking with an MBS specialist um, previously who said nobody's worried about a return of 2007, 2008. And it's true. I haven't heard a lot of people voice concerns about it. But we've had prices go so far up so fast it's got to be people are stretching to buy the houses that they are. Yeah. Yeah. The housing market right now is, is going to be a conundrum for anyone and for anyone to guess how this is all going to play out. You know, you really do need a crystal ball. Um, what, 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 what's happening right now is you're seeing some of the lowest inventory in the last uh, 40 years in housing. Um, you're seeing rates still historically at all time lows. I mean, People are talking about rates going up, but my mom bought a mortgage, had a, had a house, and her rate was nine and a half. So when you're looking, you're talking about right now, if you got any assets in a bank, you're looking at still right now four percent rate, still not horrible compared to historical averages. And so you've got a lot of demand. There's more cash in Americans' pockets than ever in American history, ever. That's an underlining. That's not a ten-year, twenty-year. It's an ever, and that's because a lot of people were locked down for two years, saved up a ton of money. Um, didn't lose their jobs, stayed at home, you know, watched Netflix, and now they're coming out and they're saying, okay, we want to buy a home because we were flush. And so that is the environment you're seeing, low inventory, folks that have a ton of cash, and so right now that's keeping the markets up. But I do think that if rates start to be affected, and you're seeing rates right now 5% plus on a 30-year fixed mortgage, okay, uh, if that continues to go up into the sixes and sevens, you've got a completely different a uh, consumer right. who's going out there and saying, wait, maybe I can't afford this $3 million home yeah. um, when rates are double what they were a year ago. Good stuff. Hey, Mark, thanks so much for joining us. Always appreciate getting your perspective. Mark Smith, he's a senior vice president for investments at Wells Fargo Advisors. Before that, he spent 14 years at UBS uh, in a similar role. So lots of experience there giving us his thoughts on uh, investments and financial markets. <laughs> Matt Miller and I are in the office every day because that's how it works in radio and TV here at Bloomberg. But we are certainly the exception here. And I think companies across the board globally are thinking about what the new work environment uh, means. Are we coming back five days a week? Mark Dixon, founder and CEO of IWG, formerly Regis. So those are the folks that rent out office space presumably these guys are in a great position to kind of meet the changing needs of uh, business mark thanks so much for joining us here um give us a sense of what you're hearing from your clients your customers about the new work environment 
Yeah, well, look, essentially, we are the market leader globally in providing for this new way of companies working, which is not much less space on a fixed basis, i.e. long-term leases, and companies that want to use space in a much more fluid way, they want to take it when they need it and take it, more importantly, where they need it. So we're seeing a lot of companies changing. We're seeing a huge uptick in, in particular, larger corporations that are moving to hybrid work and becoming our customers and using space across the country rather than having space sort of concentrated in individual cities. So, I mean, as more people work from home, I would expect companies to need less space. On the other hand, just anecdotally, um, when we talk to uh, managers, it seems like for some reason they're getting they're 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 leasing more space. Why is it? What's what's a hybrid well, workspace look like? Well, a hybrid workspace is. Uh, let me answer that question first, and I come to the sort of misinformation that's out there. In a, in, a, in a second, but hybrid workspace is space that's already set up, ready to work. It's offices that are all built, all the services are there. They're already staffed with support staff. You can use them for an hour a day, a month, a week, and they're all over the country. We're in in the United States. We're in um, about 1,100, over 1,100 locations throughout the country. Um, and we're opening lots more because there's huge demand for this um, work locally mantra. It's not necessarily people working from home. Um, it's people that don't want to waste an hour, two hours a day commuting. They want to work down the road. Some of them work from home. A lot of them will want to work locally. So um, when, you know, there's a lot of com commentators talking about, um, yes, there's a lot of space being leased up. That's not true. Um, um, research out by Jones Lang this week that talked about the great leak lease resignation where you've got people giving up leases on an unprecedented basis. And, and, and this is you know, long-term leases they're giving up in order to either have people work from home or have people work locally. They are finding it difficult to persuade people to spend time and money commuting when it's unnecessary in a digital world. But it could be homework, but for most, it is local work. That is what they're looking for. Mark, are you sensing um, regional differences? For example, is, is the United States more of a hybrid model than, say, Europe or the UK? Well, I'd say the US is much more, it, it's much more of a high adoption model. And what we know, you know, look, we've been in business in the United States for 30 years. The U.S. is really at the forefront of adopting new practices. If something works, U.S. companies adopt it. And this one is one that works. It saves companies money. It's what their workers want. And it's good for the environment. It ticks those three boxes. Um, it, it, and, and, and therefore, companies are adopting it en masse um, uh, in the United States. They're much quicker to move. In Europe... Um, you get more traditional, some countries that are much more traditional, much less likely to move. And clearly, countries like the UK, you mentioned, leases are much longer in the UK. Therefore, companies, you know, in order to move to hybrid, they've got to be able to give up 
the space they already have. They need a lease end, a lease termination that they can do. Um, and, and so the move is slower in the UK, faster in Europe, mm. very fast in the US. What about, Mark, the technology? I've noticed um, that since we started this whole journey um, about two and a half years ago, uh, we have used very different technology, or uh, there's been at least one big change in terms of our providers um, at this company. Are, are you, do you see technologies changing rapidly? Do companies need to, to quickly adapt to keep up and spend to keep up with new technologies? The answer to that is absolutely they do. And they are. I mean, this is relatively cheap technology. It's mostly streaming technology. So look, if you just look at the two most commonly used platforms, Microsoft Teams and Zoom, they have hugely improved their offer. The quality of service that's available today and the functionality available today is nothing like you would have found even six months ago. Um, and that, And there's lots of other software platforms that allow better management of people that are working in a decentralized way. So, you know, your people could be all over the country, all over the world. You can manage their outputs better with new technology, basically new software. All of that's coming together to make this hybrid way of working something that's absolutely mainstream and prime for adoption. Yep, it certainly appears to be the new trend here. Mark Dixon, founder and CEO of IWGPFC. That's formerly Regis. You'll see those uh, Regis offices uh, all over the, the U.S. and the world. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Travel story, it's a perfect segue, as Tom Keen would say, into our next guest, Alicia Kapoor, Senior Industry Manager for Similar Web. Alicia, we just heard from a report about business travel still not back. So I guess my understanding of the global travel business right now is that uh, leisure travel is close to being back to pre-pandemic levels. Uh, maybe we'll get there this summer. But business is not. What's your takeaway? How do you think this is going to develop? It's a great analysis. Leisure travel has definitely picked up and consumer demand is very, very high, especially given that we have so much pent up demand. So many restrictions are lifting across the board. Um, Just recently, the mask mandate being lifted on planes and public transportation. Um, With business travel, I think many experts in the industry expected that there would be a slower rebound. So the numbers that were mentioned earlier don't surprise me. That being said, when you look at traffic to the top business travel sites, so expense sites like Concur and then just actual sites that facilitate bookings for corporations, we're seeing a steady increase, especially over the past few months. We're seeing that businesses are dipping their toes back in. Um, Anecdotally, I've been to a few conferences. I know a bunch of my colleagues are preparing to go to conferences, both within the U.S. and outside as well. So I think that there is a positive trajectory. And when we get into 2023, I do expect to see 
recovery, um, hopefully full-fledged recovery for corporate travel. But at this point, I think we just still need a little bit of time, um, especially with the return to office. I think as that process comes into play and as most businesses bring people back to offices, we'll see the return of corporate travel will probably seamlessly follow that. But but, So you expect us to get back to pre-pandemic levels? Because my understanding was... You know, a lot of business practices have changed for good. You don't really need to travel as much as we had been in the past. Yeah, I think that's been the huge debate across the industry. I do expect us to get back to pre-pandemic levels. That being said, I don't expect the nature of business travel to be the same, right? So pre-pandemic, for example, I was traveling for almost every client meeting I had, right? I'd go a day to Florida, a day to Vegas, et cetera, et cetera. Now, Zoom has made that so much easier that in exchange, I think what we're seeing is that corporations are putting a lot more money into conferences, um, to bringing maybe remote employees to the office for a week span or a month span. Uh, Team retreats are going to be huge. So I think that corporate travel itself will recover, but the nature of corporate travel will be very different post-pandemic than it was pre-pandemic. You know, Alicia, when we talk to the, you know, big hotel operators, maybe even the hotel casino operators in Las Vegas, for example, one of the areas that is key for their corporate business is the conference business. I mean, you think about some of the big hotel casinos in Vegas, they have such huge conference space out there. And I guess the question is, will that conference business continue to be a driver for some of these big destination markets? Yeah, I believe it will. I think that conferences are going to be to have a huge resurgence this year into next year. I mean, we're already seeing it across many different industries. I think people are really dying for that in-person kind of networking, right? So I think the more that we're able to convince consumers or convince corporations that that is a safe bet and that they can kind of send their employees to a conference without worrying about other risks, Um, the better off the industry will be. And I do believe that a lot of those large conferences or large-scale conferences that we saw pre-pandemic will return, um, but that timeline is just a little bit more uncertain with some of the headwinds facing the industry. I'm excited for flying to get more enjoyable. It's, I mean, it's never been an incredibly fantastic experience, certainly not if you're flying, you know, economy class. Yep. But Mm -hmm. um, recently, I feel like, uh, it's it seems like a lot of the airline personnel um, are in a police role, right? <laughs> Always reminding mm-hmm. you to put your mask back on between sips and, um, you know, uh, getting very defensive about any kind of criticism, like anger management, but in real life. <laughs> it, is, is that going to change, you think? Is, are, are, are airlines going to have to make flying an enjoyable experience for us again? You know, that's a good question. I think there's opinions on either side of the aisle with regards to this topic as well. Um, I think on one hand, especially as mask mandates are being lifted, as consumers are flying again, um, and as airlines are really kind of pushing for that business from the leisure sector, um, there will be considerations that certain airlines will most definitely take to make sure that their consumers are happy. On the flip side, I think that some airlines have kind of used this time to maybe condense their operations. Um, We are seeing some mergers across the industry. And I think that at the end of the day, um, I 
don't necessarily know if I have that crystal ball that can tell you what flying will look like in the next five to 10 years. I think that flying will be a lot more sustainable. We've already seen a lot of efforts from major airlines to really put a lot of kind of thought and work into their sustainability pages. Um, and then we're seeing, for example, on Google Flights, there's the carbon emissions feature, which shows you, okay, this Ryanair flight, for example, might have less or more carbon emissions than this EasyJet flight um, if you're in Europe. But at the end of the day, I think the the industry itself um, is really just focused on recovery at the moment, and yep. some of those some of those perks that may come from for consumers um, or that may have happened during the pandemic may not be as common um, as we go forward. Right. All right. Hey, Alicia, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts. Alicia Kapoor, senior industry manager for Similar Web, joining us. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CutterEconomicForum.com.